0: This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. In today's episode, you're going to hear the third and final part of uh, a real fun series an interesting series. It was really a, a series of candid conversations that we had with several Italian American community leaders about what is known as the Neo Bourbon movement which, as we said in past episodes, is probably going to paint a really different picture of Southern Italy than the one that you may have heard about from your elder relatives. And honestly, this series has been overwhelmingly popular. We thought it was going to be good when we recorded it, like our gut feeling, but the download numbers and the responses we've received have really blown us away. And it has us thinking about doing more types of these episodes. Right, Dolores?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's always great to know that our geeky hunches about things that we want to learn about, you know, resonate with the audience. So we're we're really proud of this series. This is uh, part three and the final part, and uh, it's going to be a little different than part one and part two, only um, insofar as I'm not going to be narrating the episode as I did in parts one and two. So if you haven't listened to parts one and two, you definitely need to go back and listen to those first because this is this episode's just gonna jump in where we left off And that's mainly the reason why I, I didn't do the narration just in listening back to the audio uh, that we have left. I just feel like if anyone's been listening this long, you kind of know what's going on you get it, you understand. So we're just letting the conversation roll and uh, again it's it's another It's another great talk, uh, just continuing where we left off in part two. And just a reminder, we left off in part two, basically on a note where we were talking about the stereotype of Southern Italians as being shiftless and lazy, you know, and not driven. And our conversation was really contradicting that to say, that the opposite they are southern italians are so resourceful and so ambitious that that's why they left in droves after unification to seek opportunity to implement that resourcefulness that ambition and that creativity and have better lives for themselves and their families
0: Yeah. And if you, just to remind you that you're going to, the people you're hearing us talk with, we're talking with the National Italian American Foundation President, John Viola, as well as Anthony and Patrick O'Boyle, all three of whom are members of the sacred military Constantinian Order of St. George. Uh, And I know that's maybe a lot to handle, but if you've listened to this series, you've started to learn about that. And also in the story segment of this episode, at the end of the episode, I am going to read a special email that one of our listeners an Italian-American currently serving in the Peace Corps in Ukraine sent to us. It's very special. So, you know, please listen for that towards the end of the episode. All right. Now we'd like to offer a brief word from our sponsor, the National Italian-American Foundation.
2: I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian-American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian-American podcast. At NIAF, we know there's nothing more important than family, and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family.
0: All right. So now we're about to jump into the episode. As a reminder, before we get into it, you can access the first two parts of this series at com forward slash southern Italy. That's all lowercase, no space, southern Italy. There are episodes 45 and 46, and this will be episode 48. And again, as a reminder, you're going to hear us speaking with John Viola, who's the president of the National Italian American Foundation, as well as Pat and Anthony O'Boyle, all knights in the sacred military, Constantinian order of St. George and their knights because they're so passionate about these topics, which you're going to hear about shortly. Right now, I'm going to give it over to Dolores. She's going to take us in with a quote.
1: All right. This quote is from Cicero. The causes of events are ever more interesting than the events themselves.
3: There's no people in the world more creative than Southern Italians.
0: Amen. Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, and the region of Campania is the jewel in that crown. And the city of Naples is the little diamond in the jewel in that crown. I mean, it's Southern Italians. Now, there's a lot of faults. The, the kingdom of the two, I think that we are intellectually honest enough, us sitting here, that there were faults, as they were. Remember, contemporaneous to the quote unquote unification of of Italy was the United States was still a slaveholding, you know, the country that produced the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the Bill of Rights still held people in, uh, in bondage. Say no
1: countries for things. Exactly. Okay. All okay. we're asking
3: for, and I, I'm sure that my brother and John were, we're just asking for the whole story. Right. Right. Because, and what why, and people say, well, why is this important? Why, why discuss this now? Yeah. Because Italy will not move forward until the... And it's not in a, in a sense of justice that injustices are addressed. But the injustices of the past are pay, are causing the economic disaster that's the south of Italy now, where there's no opportunity. You can't just keep beating up a region for 150 years and allow, let's remember, the government, all the corruption in the south of Italy of, of from everywhere, corrupt politicians to organized crime, was winked and nodded by the Italian central government for a long, long time. They weren't there. I mean, the board, I mean, uh, you're, you're the boerboel expert, John. But the boerboels were gone. and I'm, I'm sure there was corruption and there was problems with them. But the South of Italy, all the stuff that goes on, in if the Italian government wanted gone, it could be gone tomorrow. The G7 country, The last time I checked, they have mm-hmm. the money and the education and the police and the military. That if they wanted to rid the South of Italy of organized crime, if they wanted to lock up the corrupt politicians, they could, but they don't. And maybe that's, a big, maybe that's the next podcast we have to have. Right. What is what, what in is it for them to allow the South of Italy to function as a third world country?
1: You
0: know, one of the things that, like, kind of going off of that is, you know, we have, like, a lot of people that listen to the podcast. But I would say, like, thousands of Italian-Americans. And going back to the stats, too, that John read, which speak to this, I think if you took, like, a thousand listeners and you asked them, like, you know, give me the first word that comes to your mind when you say Calabria. Right, it's probably going to be poor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or destitute. But now, like some of these stats that John just read, you're like, "Holy crap!" Like that's the, that's the problem. And that's but why we want to do this. Yeah, so, yeah. Forget the forget even
2: like what what comes from the top down. The problem is the mindset of the people. Like I, nothing drives me more crazy. I love Naples. I think Naples is one of the most beautiful cities on the planet. Uh, again, it was the third capital of Europe until the unification. It was a a necessary stop on the Grand Tour for anybody who wanted to be considered educated and enlightened. It produced more beauty and, and, you know, to brag about Naples. But now, you have people from Naples who will tell you when you say, oh, you know, I'm thinking about going to Naples. It's not safe. Or don't go there. Go here. or It's the the, the self-loathing in the southern condition that is so baffles me. And like, I, I go crazy when I check into a, a place in the South and somebody will tell me, they're gonna you know, say, I have an American accent and I, if I'm not speaking Italian, I could be anybody. And they'll say, Well, you know, be careful if you go here because you, you gotta keep your eyes open. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been to this place 10,000 times and it's always been beyond safe and wonderful and light, And here I am going into a hotel and the tourist industry is telling me, don't go to this place.
0: It's like, you basically tell me, don't come here. I guess the question is, is the Italian American community, how does that, how does that mindset
2: ever change? Well, let me say, this is why I encourage people through our foundation to go deeper. And it's just like, okay, it's great to be proud of being Italian American and it's great to love Italy and it's great to go to Italy. Right. And I'm thrilled when people come back from Italy for the first time and say, ah, oh, I went to Florence and I felt so attached to this and so familiar. It's like, okay, I get that. You know what I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I went to Venice and I thought, this is great. This is so familiar. But then push further and understand where your roots really come from and go to that place and see it. And experience it because you're going to get a much different dose of, of, of emotion. Right. You're going to feel different, and then you can also think to yourself. Well, let me just put it this way: if you look at that place and think that it has problems, ask yourself how your family's being here is either a contributor or a result. Uh, to or of those problems. Yeah. So, what you know? How does it speak to the, the fact that we are in this giant diaspora? And and so for me, when I go out and talk to the Italian American community in my real job, I'm always cautious to say to people, not to encourage regionalism, but to say to people, find out where you're from. It's not enough to say I'm Italian American, and it's and it's not enough to say. Um, you know, my family left Naples. Everybody's says, like, where are you coming from? Naples. Naples, yeah. That's what it's called. I know where, where you're <laughs> <that's> that. <laughs> <enough, but laughs> you from. And, and in the, in a modern world, where we don't have the neighborhoods anymore like we used to have, and it's not easy to access your identity, it's going to be about people searching out their identity. Yes. Again. And if you're searching out your identity, get it right. Because I'd much rather a person go back to a town where the food tastes like your grandmother made and the language sounds like she spoke and you can attach to people than to go back to a town where, yeah, you feel Italian and it's great. But they're going to tell you, you said Mutsadel wrong. That's what I want yeah. to avoid. Because that then you're going to just take that same shame and carry it with you in experience. Exactly. And yeah. why, Why if we're taking back our culture, should it come with a dose of shame that, that shouldn't have been there in the first place?
3: If, if I can follow up on what John said, identity is going to be a huge issue in the coming century, I think, in this century. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one can say what's going to happen 10 years from now. But look what's going on. The terrorism that is now facing Europe is has to be confronted because if you just see the um, the, the bombing at the Ariana uh, Ariana Grande Ariana Grande concert in Manchester. From Southern Italian, by the way. Southern Italian, She's, she, she, yeah. she's uh, The 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 I guess at this point the alleged bomber was born and raised in the UK if I'm correct, when I mean, he came there as an instrument from Libya. So you say, well, why, why do you have a, an, a, a a kid who should have identified as being British? To, you know, you want to say Libyan, British, or, you know, Muslim-British person, but still identifying as British. How, how did they come to be driven to do what they did? And that's, not, so you say, well, that's nothing to do with the Italian-American question, but in a globalized world, identity is becoming a, a question. Now, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have the academic background or the sociological studies or expertise to understand it, but I see it, because if you take... Um, I teach college as an adjunct, and a, and a couple of years ago, I had Japanese exchange students with American students, and that there were cultural, the absolute cultural differences from a student who's coming from a university in Asia, who's Asian and was raised in Asia, to one who's coming to the United States. But what shocked me was not the differences. What shocked me was the similarities. So now, I guess, what's post-millennial? Generation Y? The, the kids who are in college today? I think that's correct. They are so similar global. We are the first global generation. So my American students and my Japanese students, I mean, if you take their great-grandparents, because now their great-grandparents would be the World War II generation. Mm-hmm. If you take their great-grandparents, they were universes apart. An American GI and a Japanese soldier in World War II, everything about their upbringing, their background, their religion, their language was a million miles apart. They knew nothing about each other. They really were foreigners combating. We now have a globalized world. I mean, the, the hallmark of culture and wealth to this generation is travel. They've been everywhere. They've been places we never knew existed. Mm-hmm. And they're always traveling. They don't have two nickels to rub together because they're always going places. <laughs> no, really, they don't want to buy, after. they have a lot of college that they don't want to buy, but yeah. they're always traveling. So they're gonna be kids who travel all around the world, who party and drink and dance and go on the beach with kids their own age in other countries, who are now speaking the international lingua franca which is English, and they're communicating. I mean, I had a translator in there. I didn't need the translator, but. Somebody I was in in Italy with business with in a trade show in Naples. It was about 10 years ago, there was a Neapolitan girl who was a translator for the person I was with. And she would translate from Italian to English. She used the word sucks to me. This really sucks. So I had turned to her. She had never been to the United States. I didn't think she had been to English. She had learned English in school. She spoke well. And I said to her, I said, how did you learn the word sucks? And she turned to me and said, I watched The Simpsons. I said, because she goes, I watched them in English. American television movies she was watching in English. Not to improve her English so much, she just thought they were kind of funnier in English, not translated. So you're going to have a global generation who's watching media in English, using English as an English franca. They're going to be communicating with each other. You're going to have a globalized generation. And that should be really the the big project, the the project should be complete, the post-World War II integration. But what we're seeing is not It was seeing almost a rebellion against that in some places, that regional identities are growing. And I don't know why. I don't have that kind of sociological background or the psychology behind it. But I think that what's happening is the Italian-American kid who goes to Italy has so much more in common now with the Italian kid. There's not that much difference the way they act, the way they dress. Every generation, they're getting closer and closer. If you were in Italy in the late 90s, no one knew what the internet was and no one knew what the email was. And the kid in Italy now has the exact same iPhone that an American has. There's no difference. They are becoming global citizens. So I think there's a big fear in the Italian-American community that our kids are becoming less Italian. The Italian kids in Italy are becoming less Italian. And they're becoming more global. And I think part of that's going to be is that we're concerned now, the Italian-American community, which is probably negative central, they've never been positive, right? <laughs> it's an <not> ongoing negativity. <laughs> well, it's, been, it's, been, it's all been over for the last, <laughs> since they started, since right? They since they started. And there's a negativity about intermarriage and kids not going up in the neighborhood, you know? An Italian American kid was Italian um, with both parents who grew up in an Italian American enclave where there was the tripe guy on Saturday on um, and you know Father Luigi was saying, you know, was preaching in the church, the Italian church in Italian. Sure, that that created Italian Americans, but that ended that ended in the fifties. That that began that ship began to sink after the war. So now we have a generation of, of intermarried people, and we have Italian Americans who are 100 Italian who grew up in suburbia who couldn't, who who have no concept of what their culture was. So what are we going to become? I don't think, I think people keep screaming it's going to be the death knell of Italian-American culture. Um, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to become an elective culture. So you're going to have somebody, you know, a, 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 That's a
1: good term. Did you make that up? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I a, that's my a term. That's
3: my book You got a copyright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, <laughs> <laughs> TM.
1: I think that I think that that's true and it's a great phrase yeah. is
3: going to happen because yeah. and and this is in no way to disrespect the Native Americans but a lot of the Native American tribes genetically are extinct, mm-hmm. and they've survived I mean there's people with names like Smith and Jones because Native Americans you know who, who suffered uh persecution suffered disease were down to nothing in some instances but they intermarried with the local community and in some instances, you now have people who are members of tribes who probably, if you went back to their DNA, are, are small proportions. where if you speak to someone, there's a whole Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. conversation. She identifies as Cherokee. She's a very small percentage of Cherokee. But that's the self-identification. Mm-hmm. She takes pride in, the, in, her, in that Cherokee heritage, even though it's genetically, statistically, probably very small. I think the, the, the reason that the Italian-Americans don't need to be in panic mode as much as they are, it's just going to change. It's not going to be the same, but everything's always changing. Is that Italian culture is sexy. It's always been sexy. It was sexy with Dante. It's
1: not where I thought you were, were going. <laughs> with... <laughs> I didn't see that coming.
3: <laughs> no, people want to identify. People people love Italy, right? And you yeah. got people that yeah. walk around yeah. Italy and they're in a or they're in a Time intop and reading gelato saying, I wish I was Italian. Yeah. Italy is great. So, the, the, the kid with that little bit of fleck of Italian culture is going to identify with Italy because Italy's Italy. You know, you don't need to sell Italy. And I think that um, they're going to lose a lot because they're not the Scuttle and Beans generation. They're not going to have the grandmother in the house dress. Yeah. Yeah, not. And, but that's not going to happen in Italy either. The other thing that we're realizing is that that still survives in Italy now because grandma's 85 or 90, Still sipping the money for the pension in the kid's hand, still waiting, you know, all, all those little tiny grandmother things and, you know, you're coming home, what do you want to eat, G and all that. But that's going to die in Italy, too, because what's going to happen is that the boomers, mm. and Italy had baby boomers, too, and they may not be as baby boomers as American baby boomers are, but my grandmother never wore pants, <laughs> No really, my grandmother never. My grandmother lived and died, yeah. and never wore a pair of pants. She wore a dresses. I for see what you life. mean
1: now, but I just had watermelon. <laughs> like, I pictured like Nonna walking around the house. With her, a pair. <laughs> I'm like, where is he
3: going? But see, you took that. You automatically put it in your head. Yes, that was a generation. Because a friend that I grew up with, both down. of our grandmothers, we had a conversation once that they'll never. Kids today will never know. what gray hair, real gray hair looks like. <laughs> and a house dress they'll never know what that is this stockings tied up And yeah, might not never
1: wore pants either
3: right but now our mothers were baby boomers my mother was born in 1947 right they grew up in a pants generation mm. so every generation it, it's it's going to be removed from that so there's going to be an Italian kid born somewhere in the south of Italy right around now who's not going to have any historical memory of a, of a woman who only, who only wore a house dress in her whole life with the equivalent of a house dress so they're changing too they're changing, too. And I think the last thing I want to say is Italian-Americans have an idealized picture of an unchanging Italy, where they're going to get off an airplane and get back to the bays that grandma left, the great-grandma left. There's only a woman in a black dress with a mumble on her head carrying water from the fontana to the house. And that's gone. That's gone. But I think we judge ourselves. Thinking, well, they're really still Italian because there's gotta be somebody in a black dress mm-hmm. carrying water on their head, but that's gone there too. That's the picture. So we're not, it's not as bad as we think it is because we're all changing. Right. They're changing, we're changing, and I think that as far as what's gonna evolve, which will be an elective identity, we're okay, okay because yeah. everybody wants to be Italian. TM. <laughs> See, I
2: think it's a little I think there's a, there's a pre that this effort comes at the precursor to that too, which is we as institutions, my job at NIAF is to give people access to this culture that's gonna help them make it a part of their real lives. So like when we when we get a kid who's interested, I love the idea of saying to them Let's, let's show you this Italy that you really relate to, because you may get one bite at the apple, to give. Because especially in a world where you can be whatever the hell you, you, you want. I mean, it's the idea that you can go on the Internet and learn everything in the world about Thai culture, and you could, you could, in your life and how you live, identify as being a Thai. So, if that's the case, people are going to have this elective identity and elective culture. And we got a much better shot of making it real for them if we take them to a place where they're going to relate to the people and, and whatever little vestiges of the authentic experience they had in their family, is a better chance that that spark's going to be met with a matching spark in the real towns in the south than it is when they go to Venice. I mean, with all due respect to Venice, it's a beautiful place, yeah. but that's not where most of our diaspora is from. Look at your kids
3: the discovery from them at night. The best the kids love all the big cities. But when you take them to somebody like say, Bob, that's where they fall. Exactly. And when you ask them what the best part of the trip was, it isn't the big famous tour season. But they get unprecedented access to an IM. Mm-hmm. Right. They get to see stuff and do stuff in these famous because places. Because in a global world... world. world. So Is
2: like, so that the response you get, John? Oh, no, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, in a, in a, you talk about a global identity and these kids being aware of the global culture. So when you go and get the, the ten cent tour version, you're not leaving your global identity. When you go down south and you go and see the town where your grandparents came from and you are deep in there and you're not just a visitor as a global citizen or a tourist, you're, you're a participant at that point in some capacity, that's real. So it's harder and harder and harder to convince generations that increasingly live on a computer screen that something can be authentic. So we need to give them authenticity. And if you're going to give authenticity to tie everything back to what we came here for, it's going to come with a new and more honest examination of the history of the place that produced a majority of our community. That's what all this
0: is about. And that's why we do, what we do. Yeah. So you know, as we kind of wrap it up here, I want to come back to the neo- Bourbon movement and we'll link to this article that's very interesting that Dolores referenced. It's gonna be the next trip back, my friend. It's yeah. gonna be a series I think. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. But well, I think one of the things that has come out of this that I think is really important is Italian Americans psychologically have certain hurdles to overcome to even understand some of the good the region as John read the statistics to understand that that was even there Mm -hmm. like most Italian Americans don't they're not there they're at the the poor the destitute there were peasants and you know we're shamed we're shamed right so there's several steps for them psychologically just to get over and some of them unfortunately will never probably even hear about this but So let's so just as we wrap up, to bring it back, is that something that this neo bourbon movement is trying to make them aware of? We talk about the
3: tan american impression of I left this poor, you know, of my yes. ancestors left uh, total poverty. Mm-hmm. To get back to what we said earlier, yes, it was a poor place because America had the highest standard, highest standard of living in the world since 1758 at the mm-hmm. time. Before the American Revolution, why it was an open country with all of natural resources. So you could come to America and get thousands of acres in places like Nebraska and, and, and fertile land. I mean, the American dream really was a, a, a blip on the screen in history because we opened up a continent and people came from Europe and they got the same. Europe hadn't been that didn't have the virgin's fertile land that North America did five thousand years ago. There was always somebody there. Um, an American, like I guess, the Native American population. Really, when you see the scope and size of the continent, was very small. But they came here, and they were very strange to the to the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants who met them here. Their culture, their religion, a it had been mocked in their narrative because they were Catholic, and there was a lot of anti-Catholicism. Catholic cultures, like Mediterranean cultures, were mocked. I mean, look at what you know we canonize. Um, Mark Twain, but there was—I mean, we were Mark Twain wrote about thousands. We were John Adams wrote about Thousand Catholic in culture. So they well, came. There was
1: like two groups you can still make fun of in this culture. And nobody says anything. Sure, it's Catholics and Italians. <laughs> and, <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> because we come from shame on both of those projects right. the,
3: the, the, yeah. the the American what was his name Nash who was the who was the one who wrote all the cartoons mm-hmm. the nineteenth century. Nast is it Nast whatever. And if you wrote, see what he wrote, it's because they were being perceived from a Bosque perspective. There's a book in the Seton Hall Alberto Library that's just 19th century cartoons derogatory to Italian-Americans. So what's happened is you have Italian-American kids who are first generation who are being told by the system that your parents are ignorant, your customs are ignorant, your customs are uh, uh, Neanderthal-esque, and uh, you come from poverty, and they had this drilled into them. Because the American Anglophonic Wasp, and even other, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the Irish, Irish people, the Irish Irish, uh, <laughs> I know,
2: I know, talking to you guys a lot about the themes of the show and and what you're doing. I know you had uh, Robert Orsi on. Obviously, his work on the Madonna of 15th Street is like one of the seminal pieces to our community. But here's the reason that I think of myself as a neo-Burbanist because neo-Burbanism can mean 20 different things. It can mean pride in the South. It can mean those who advocate for a return to an independent Southern monarchy. And it can mean everything in between. Because when you dig into your Italian heritage, your Italian-American heritage, and you hit questions, you, you pull up this string, and these strings all come back to this totally unknown piece, which was the central piece of our Southern identity, which is this, this bourbon era of Southern history. When we talk about the basement churches and taking the saint out into the street and the repression of these Southern Catholic traditions, we take them in the context of the United States and the Irish-Italian situation. And the, But if you pull that string enough, Like every other string in our ethnic identity, nine out of ten times, it draws back to what was the experience when life was good in the South. And when life was good in the South, the church was at the center of every town, the saint was at the center of every calendar, and this was the highest day for the entire year. And to... Understand that that was not just repressed when we got here. It was repressed there at the end of the unification. That's a real issue, and and that informs everything. So all of these strings that we're going to tug to understand our identity better, they're going to somehow tie back to this bourbon period. And that's why I think of myself as a bourbonist, because that's the period when the South was coming back together, was growing into a modern sense of a state and one that was going to be based on its own customs and traditions that were thousands of years old. And as that starts to happen, it gets cleaved, and you see what happens when that, when that, when that cleaver comes down.
3: You know, also, if you look at the Italian parishes in the United States, there were certain religious orders who remain nameless from the north of Italy who, who passed in Italian parishes, especially in parts of the Midwest where there was a shortage of priests to begin with. So you don't have enough of priests for your Irish and German parishioners who are the, the foundation of your diocese. Now you have a tidal wave of Southern Italians coming. And you need Italian priests. And who do you appeal to? You appeal to the religious orders and they're like, please send me a priest. And in a lot of cases, there's one in particular that, that, that's coming to mind right now, the Northern Italian pastor was horrified by his Southern Italian parishioners. And he felt that it was his job to correct their culture,
0: hmm.
3: and I think that just to I, don't, I don't know I know we're wrapping it up, but just to put my two cents into this is that why why, why do we have the why do we justify us being at the table today? What's the justification? Is it to rehash history and to try to say our story wasn't told? These are these are issues now that are, are pushing that past 150 years. The question now is that the Borbonist movement or all these questions are really questions about southern Italian identity, the history of the South over the last 150 years. And all those questions are seen in the prism of where do they go from here. And us being people who have a strong affinity for the South of Italy, but also being Americans, looking from the outside in, I think that we agree, John and I, from a totally intellectual perspective of what does is Borbonism Talk about today is that if the, if Italy, the nation, the current nation state that is Italy, and the government that is wrong, and Brussels, and every other part that has a piece of 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 southern Italy under its jurisdiction, does not see the historical causes of what allowed an entire half of Italy to to it's currently sing into third world If you do not look honestly. Honestly, at the historical underpinnings, there is no way that that area can be salvaged. Because the only other answer is the answer that's, that, that evolved from the spin-off are just lazy shiftless, corrupt people. And until you address the mass migration that was forced on them, the fact that you have towns that was 90, 95% of their population that were, that were, that were wiped out, that were demographically wiped out, that sent their best and their rights. I'm gonna give you one some one quick example. The one of the number one satellite experts in the world just passed away in October, Frank R. Frank R. was born and raised in uh, Cam- in Camela, the village of the frazione of Camella, which is part of the comune of Pertifumo, which is outside of the the Giolento. The the top satellite experts in the world, my friend Severino D'Angelo immigrated from, uh, Georgia He is one, he is the top guy in the world. I don't even understand what he does. He calibrates machines. <laughs> you put a car on a machine and his machine tells you um, miles per gallon. and yeah, dinos. Dino. He's the top guy in the world for that. These are guys who have tremendous poverty. Frank Garjone told me a story a few years ago, which I'll never forget, where, um, you know, uh, somebody, it was another, it was a Southern Italian aristocrat, was mocking the fact, she said, you know, what's what's the purpose of education today when everybody gets it? And the point is when you, everybody gets it, people like Frank Garjo become satellite experts. And people like Severino D'Angelo become engineers, engineers experts. And these are people that come out of, out of the quote-unquote shiftless, lazy, corrupt South of the Middle. <laughs> what would have happened had Frank had opportunity and stayed in the South of Italy? Would Salerno be a world capital in satellite technology? If Severino had stayed in joy, would the city of Val di Lugania now be the world center for dino production? We are never going to know. And we're never going to know that, but it doesn't mean that that can't happen in the future. The ground game that has to be created for that to happen in the future has to happen to the development and the reform of the South of Italy. And there are a lot of underlying problems. And the underlying problems that prohibit that from happening cannot be tackled if they're not seen in the historical context. Exactly. Yeah, the, question has, the question has
2: become, which I think has become the theme of this conversation, is the, the, Italian, the, the southern question, which is a term they use in Italy all the time, and the Italian American community, and what's the relationship between the two in the past, and what's the relationship between the two in the future, and what does the southern question, quote-unquote, which I use... Tommy cheek what does that mean for who we are? What What is the coincidences and what's the parallel development of what exists is this idea of a southern question and this giant diaspora, and they all come from the same root, which is the end of this thousand-year-old kingdom. And it's no coincidence that we talk about the British political relationship to the south of Italy. The British were great exploiters of Sicily for 100 years before unification,
0: did not like the Bourbon's uh, protections on the
2: Sicilian salt for trade, which the British thought it was their own. So they wanted to see that monarchy fall. The writings from the English language and the British are, I mean, you read them now and you would think, I mean, the, the Gladstone said that the Southern Kingdom's government was the negation of God made physical. That's how he describes. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Right? Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> you, you read the statistics of what was actually going on there, you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't connect. So you have that. Then, then, then on top of it, you have the, the people don't read about what the American popular sentiment during the unification of Italy was, because here we were in the middle of our civil war. So they were reading British press that was talking about this horrible, um, Repressive monarchy, uh, old-fashioned, and they were saying to themselves, "Here we are fighting for liberty. So are these Northern patriots." Garibaldi was a massive hero in this country and a celebrity, and you know, he was offered a commission in this in the Union by Abraham Lincoln. So clearly, the American uh, popular sentiment was for the the, the North.
3: And I think a big part of that was the anti-Catholicism. Big time. There was no more kind of Catholic in the world. No, I'm sorry. There might have been a more Catholic country in the world than the south of Italy, but there was not a more Catholic family than the Bourbons of the two sisters. No. They were, they, were, they, were they, were more, they were the only people that probably completely really said they were more Catholic than the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> they really were. They gave Pius IX the night to run for his money, and that was their MO, and that was underlying everything that they did. Mm-hmm. And a big reason why you know, there was a lot of complaints in England that the south of Italy did not have any kind of parliamentary democracy mm-hmm. is that. I mean probably it probably was on the same level as Russia, if not more not more so, because the Bourbon were terrified of a parliament
0: that would be that would be guided by the Enlightenment and then in their opinion freemasonry
3: that would deconstruct the Catholic kingdom that they had. Well, I mean look, yeah. here's a perfect example of where the lies just come up short. It's like
0: after 1848 and all the revolutions in Europe. The, with the exception of the idea of creating a federation of Italian states under the
2: papacy, second to that was this idea of uniting Italy under the monarchy. I mean, you know, this, this was the biggest country, the richest country on the peninsula. It was the natural sort of leader of the place. Naples was the natural capital in terms of but population, right? In. And why did that not happen? Because Ferdinand II, who was seen at that point as a great liberal as was Pius IX, right, until the story has to change, Ferdinand II was in no way going to take on the leadership of a movement that was going that at its core required unseating the Pope from the lands that the papacy had controlled for millennia. So you're talking about Catholicism as a as a, so much a part of their identity that they would sacrifice the leadership of this national uh, movement. But it's, it's only when that when they are, have to be bypassed as a natural leaders of this thing that we get to this idea that the, somehow the Savoys are the most enlightened monarchy in the world. But
3: they were just as repressive as anybody. Let's look at something. Let's look at the most devastating war in time history was probably World War One. If you look at the casualty numbers, I'm not mm-hmm. sure of that, but Italy itself, geographically, was devastated from World War Two, the civilian population. And it, it, it probably is a very contest of what was worse than World War One or World War Two. They both happened under the Savoy's watch. The Bourbons never fought; they never—they were not an aggressive country. The Bourbons were happy; they had a, a friendly neighbor in the Papacy to the north. They were, they were between salt water and holy water, mm-hmm. and they were <laughs> not, it was <laughs> not—it was, not was not a country that was aggressive like a lot of the other major European powers. Because it was a major European power. Had let's think about this. Had there been a way to unite Italy around a world war monarchy, would Italy have remained neutral? Which every which which, the, which they were begged to do by the Austrians in World War One. Would Italy have remained neutral in World War One? Probably out of that, they would have been neutral. Had there been a World War II. and Italy probably would have escaped both wars on the same level, almost as Switzerland or Spain. So you know, a big question has to be. All the negativity everybody throws at Italy, at, at the Bourbons rather, at the, they were horrific monarchs. No matter what you throw at them, you can't throw, at them, nothing that they could have done or did do would ever equal the destruction throughout the entire peninsula that both world wars caused. And they were both, uh, the Savoys were on board with both of them. Yeah. So I think that if you want to be truly intellectually honest, there was a tremendous argument to be made that Italy would have been in a much better state today despite the political, right-wing political ultra-Catholic of the Bourbons. Italy would have revolved in a totally different country had they been at
2: the helm. It's just funny you said, like, the right-wing conservatism, Catholicism. Yes, it was a conservative cultural place, but at the same time, people don't give any credit to the fact the first workers' colonies in all of Italy. Mm-hmm. This is what this is one thing I love is like because the, the Bourbons have been so lambasted throughout history, of these horrible tyrants that even in the in the South you get a lot of these independent move independence movements that are led by the left, and the left will never touch monarchism and Catholicism in the Bourbons. But what they don't understand is that the, the first workers' colonies in all of Europe were created by the Bourbons. I mean. The silk manufacturer San Licio by Ferdinand the, the First of the two Sicilies was a model workers' colony, education, healthcare, housing. You can still go there today. Princess Beatrice, the the, the 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 offspring of this monarchy, the royal family still participates there today to 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 raise money and awareness for what was created. I mean, you're talking about. The the Albergo de Poveri in Naples was one of the largest free hospitals in the world, paid for and sustained by uh, King Charles. This is not a uh, this is not something that the people who have left wing political leanings can't get around. the show, even uh, Princess, Princess Beatrice is very proud of this, uh, the time of the Bourbons didn't have a gender pay gap. Men and women were paid the same. So for this uh, you know, so-called repressive Catholic uh, monarchy, they had more aggressive policies than a lot of liberal countries do today. Yeah, that's great.
1: That's really interesting.
2: That's what the one thing we're going to miss in this conversation is
1: talking,
2: <laughs> talking about the actual Anthony comes in for
1: the win. <laughs> 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 he a quiet type of what he speaks. He says, he nails it. <laughs> we, we
2: talked about why this is aggravating, white matters to the American, Italian American community, but we... we we need another day to talk yeah. about what life was really like down there, and
1: well, what this family was. What I'd like to for you to tell me, I've listened to this episode. Wow, I didn't know any of this. Okay, yeah. I'm listening. My my mind's like you know flashing because everything I thought I knew is kind of upside down, or maybe I didn't even know what I any of it. Right, but so I want to be I want to be a neo bourbon. What do I do? Where do I go? What is that like? I wait, wait, not what does that mean? But where do I go? No, no, no.
3: You don't want to be a Neil Broker. Okay. That, that's not what you want.
1: Okay, what do I want?
3: You want to be a person that understands the full story. Yes. Because this is not a, this is, we're not here to discuss, a like, come and join our team. Right. This is not evangelism. And people, and I, I, I want to clarify that because people are going to listen to this and say, well, you know, uh, the Four you know, this is, this is people who kind of have a romanticized view of the South of Italy, or the family, or the monarchy. That's not what we're here for. We're here to say that there's a complicated story that is the South of Italy. And the story is not being told in its entirety. And if some of the problems of the South of Italy today are hard to figure out, go back and listen to what we've talked about, and see some of the roots there. If, through your study of that, you come to the conclusion that a lot of things that the New York World Letters believe, then that, that, that's, that's a different story. You could be a communist, you could be a, a, a fascist, you could be a monarch. There's a lot of options in the political sphere. You could be a Christian Democrat, you could be a socialist. What we're saying is that these people, people are being dismissed out of hand, for questioning the unification narrative. And this is unjust. And that what, we, what we're we saying to you is, we're not saying to you, Dolores, fill out the membership card. We're saying, Dolores, learn your own history, Dolores. Go back and read your own history. Study what really went on.
1: Well, let's say I want to be involved with, with people like you guys, who are actually... "Quote unquote," active in this.
3: What do I do?
1: The, it, this
3: is an intellectual discussion that has There's just no to action
1: today. That's
3: simplifying the conversation. What's happening that's is That's my attempt. <laughs> this is too serious. This is too serious. You try to put a runner on the boat in the middle of the ocean. Not. No, I, I know what you're saying. What but, yeah, but I'm trying to say is that this is what this is what the the opponents. We John and I and other people involved in this are concerned with the future of the south of Italy. Because we see a ship we're taking on a lot of water. There's a lot of big issues there. That people try to brush off to the Euro and that they hadn't been they hadn't adapted to the Euro or two thousand and eight meltdown. There are fundamental problems that have been pressing for one hundred and fifty years. And now with things that, other things that have kind of added to the pressure in the last fifty years, it's the, the, the ship is really taking on water. What we're saying is that the political landscape of the South of Italy, across the board, has to begin to rethink itself. And people around the world who see the South of Italy as the poster child for shiftlessness, laziness, ignorance, and and organized crime have to begin to look past the spin. A lot of it is some some aspects of the culture are not positive, and and you know we can't we can't shoot Cody either, but. If you go and you take a vacation to the south of Italy or you go to a beach in Taranto or you go to a museum in Matera, you've made a difference. If you say to someone in body when you hear their dialect, that is absolutely beautiful. Why don't your children use it? Why don't you teach us in the school? You're making a difference. That's what makes you a neo Borba. What makes you a neo is is, 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 is is allowing the south of Italy to feel proud of who they are to recapture their identity, to examine the course of their future in light of the true telling of their past. So if you want to make a difference, that's the difference. That's the difference you can make. Buy, support, encourage, set
2: Can't say it better. It's less, it's less important about what movement you're part of or membership, or, but in terms of resources, you guys have a mission, and our community is never going to understand itself if it doesn't understand history. So we have to teach it. We have to teach a real and authentic history. We have to go out and read the books. We have to encourage others to read those books. We have to talk about these topics in this light from now on. So now the next time you have or see on the show and you talk about Italian-American Roman Catholicism, you need to bring it back to where it starts in these questions. I encourage people to, to, to visit the South and That's an economic impact there, but it's also a cultural impact for them. Um, Do all we can to make these things accessible, understandable. The South is very indigestible to people. It's very foreign, even though it's where we're from, because there's not the same resources out there telling people how to do it. Like Anthony's book is is imperative and, and, frankly, supporting and sharing the stories of today's modern South and the success stories, the initiatives there, letting people know that this is there, buying Southern products isn't. It's, to me, like I, you know, it sounds silly, but I do a lot of entertaining. I have a lot of people in my homes for for work. I have a lot of people that uh, are around the headquarters. I buy Southern Italian wine only, only, and there's phenomenal wines out there, varietals of grapes people don't talk about. Talk about it and serve it. Serve the product. You know, we are big into the I'll Pursuit movement. Yeah, because you know what? You're, you're, you're supporting... Your family, you're supporting your your motherland.
3: And they great and great products, and
2: They're great products, and they come at a fraction of the cost because the marketing is bad and the branding is bad. People don't know they're there. To me, you you could drink the one, you know, some of these Yonikos and Monte Brutos and things that have at a fraction of the cost of other wine, and the experience is. Yeah, I bought a bottle of that
1: yesterday. My my, my, <laughs> great my great visit, see, but a lot
3: of the two, the Southern Italians don't believe in their own products. Yeah, they're starting to. Ashamed tremendously. But you know what Sicily was a country that Sicily was an island that did great production for table grapes. Mm-hmm. You know, because they didn't have the technology, the, the know-how, or the confidence to make the award, you know, the champion wines that they were they were capable of. My business partner Rome told a great story. He was on a business trip to the south of Italy and wound up staying in an Agro Turismo, beautiful agro turismo, the kind that that people travel all around the world to visit. And um, I think it was for dessert or for breakfast, I forget what it was. The owners put out
0: a packaged dessert. Mm-hmm. You know, literally, they have like the pre in the morning. It was a packaged kind of
3: industrial product. And he was shocked because he said, like, the food had been fantastic. It was organically grown on the farm, grown by them. They were farmers. And he was like, I'm surprised that they, you know, everything here was from scratch. Why? The dessert party came out of a box, self in a box. So he had the nerve to ask the owner, and "I'm kind of surprised. And he goes, oh, no, we have crostatas in the kitchen that we make with our own marmalade and the whole nine yards, but we thought it would be too humble for you. We thought you would kind of look mm-hmm. down on it, and you would have more respect for the purchased box industrial off the shelf of the supermarket product. And he was like, are you kidding me? He's like, I'd much rather what you're having in there yeah. than what I'm having here. That's interesting. But the underlying thing is that the farmer thought that this guy, this big shot from Rome, <clears throat> would talk to, would, would turn his nose up at their homemade marmalade crostata. And I think that's a <laughs> big part of the story of why certain Italian products have issues. Issues in the sense of coming here and being promoted because they don't... There's, a, there's an underlying... That's that's changing now that we discussed, not to be the dead horse, but there's an underlying um, self-doubt. Um, is that the word I'm looking for? The South of Italy? low <laughs> self-esteem. And it comes out also that they have these award-winning products that, that started to change, but for a long time, they didn't believe could be competitive on an international market.
2: And you have, like... I mean... You get so much difficulty in capitalization of these projects. It's like the, you look at Basilicata. You have almost completely naturally gluten-free wheat that you can make pasta out of. And in a world where gluten intolerance is the word of the day, and it's not on the popular market.
1: That's the first I've heard of it. It's crazy. So buy yeah. South, drink South, eat, eat south, south, teach South, south speak South, speak encourage South, south encourage visit South, south. Go
2: south and. That's no disrespect to the North, but this is our place.
1: Right. Well said.
0: It's now time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted, which is exactly what I'm going to do today. I'm going to read a very special email that we received from one of our listeners named Garrett, who's an Italian-American who's currently in the Peace Corps. So here it is. Ciao, Anthony and Dolores. I'm Garrett. I'm a Peace Corps volunteer and a proud Italian American in the Ukraine. And I just wanted to write to both of you and say I love the podcast. I've been listening since your first few episodes. Seems like forever ago, and I feel like every episode is something new and interesting. As I was listening today, when I have access to the internet, I listen as regularly as possible. I was struck by how your episodes give me an escape. Sometimes we have tough weeks in the village, and a. To my heritage, even in rural Ukraine. Over the last decade, my connection to my heritage has grown in importance and depth, and your podcast has helped me continue to connect to it. I particularly enjoy the podcast regarding history, especially Southern Italian history, like the podcast Re the Bourbons, Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, etc., you did a few weeks back. I look forward to more podcasts like that and all the other ones you do. Thank you. P.S. I attached a picture of my family's sauce I made a few days ago and a picture of me and my Ukrainian host mom. I'm showing her how to make sauce (laughs) in the picture. (laughs) It was great. That was such a nice note from Garrett. We really enjoyed it and appreciated it. And we wanted yeah, to read it. Yeah,
1: it's terrific. Thanks for writing. We always appreciate the letters, so keep them coming.
0: Yeah, this was special because I think that's obviously one of the things that Dolores and I were hoping to do with the podcast is help people to stay connected to their heritage and to see that someone's, you know, kind of on the other side of the world still using the podcast to stay connected was was pretty awesome. So thank you.
1: Yeah, Anthony, exactly. This is something that the people in the new neighborhood talk about often, and it's why they really love the podcast, and it's why they decided to join the new neighborhood. I mean, we have members who live in Colorado, who live down south, who live in other countries, as we've mentioned, who live in Hawaii. So the podcast has turned out, as we hoped, and now the new neighborhood to be a space where no matter where italian americans are they can turn on the show log into the new neighborhood and feel connected to their heritage and it's kind of amazing to think that we started this a couple years ago with that goal and then we get feedback from people like the letter you just read and the comments we get in the neighborhood and on social media basically telling us that that's what we've created. It's wonderful.
0: If you're not familiar with what Dolores means when she says the new neighborhood, that's a special community that we've created uh, just a few months ago. Because we know people are listening, like Garrett and other listeners, but they want to go deeper than listen. They want to connect with other people that are really passionate about their heritage, and there aren't a lot of ways for people to do that. There aren't these old neighborhoods like you know my grandparents, grew up with who great-grandparents immigrated here. Uh, Dolores's parents immigrated here where they had Italians surrounding them, literally surrounding them physically. We don't have that as much anymore. So we're creating this new neighborhood, a place for Italian-Americans online. It's right now a private Facebook group that you could check out at italianneighborhood.com. It's an inexpensive way to join and get closer to other people that are passionate about your heritage and also support the podcast. And I got to tell you, We've been making some very good friends in the new neighborhood. We're sharing recipes, we're sharing photos and pictures, um, and all kinds of, of really interesting topics and kind of honestly a little bit more than I maybe imagined in the beginning. But again, people are passionate about their heritage.
1: Yeah, it's a great group.
0: All right, Dolores, why don't you take us out?
1: Okay, so just a reminder, you can connect with us via email by visiting ItalianAmericanExperience.com and clicking on the Join Us tab. That's the best way to always know what we're up to and what's coming next. And you can hang with us on social media. We are on Instagram at ItalianAmerican. We are on Twitter at ItalAmerican. And we're on Facebook at ItalianAmericanPodcast. American Podcast. Grazie mille!